0: You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Muhammad. This is the show
1: where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Muhammad coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. And tonight we have a action-packed show hopefully uh you guys have your questions lined up if you do have any questions for us go ahead and press number one uh hank seaton is joining us tonight and i'm also calling in a pinch hitter to help me out tonight as well to ask some different questions uh mr kenny long from uh the other podcast our sister podcast uh trucking with authority will be joining us tonight as well uh, he's kind of going to be pinch-hitting with me, uh, bouncing questions off Mr. Seaton. But also our number one concern is if you have any transportation law-related questions, whether it be dealing with uh, contracts that you're dealing with, uh, rate confirmation, detention, any of that stuff, you know, we've covered it before, but we've got Mr. Seaton back on again. If you got any questions pertaining to any of that stuff, go ahead and press number one, and our good friend Elizabeth, she will be coming up and screening your calls for us tonight. So, with that said, we don't want to uh, take away from what we got coming up tonight. We're going to go ahead and jump into some of the normal stuff that we do here on the Rates and Lanes podcast. Uh, tonight, we're starting out with the looking at the USDA fruit and vegetable truck rate report for this week, February the 17th. It was released a little bit earlier today. Uh, once again, there's a link on the... Facebook page, Race and Lanes Facebook page, you can go and click on that link on there and get a copy of this. We don't really get into it too deep on here. We just try to gloss over it really quickly to tell you where there may be some opportunities. Sadly, there are no opportunities to report this week. Uh, Anywhere that there's a slight shortage or shortage of trucks, there's nothing highlighted in that, areas that you may want to avoid is Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona. They have a slight surplus of trucks. San Luis Valley, Colorado, they have a slight surplus of trucks. Central and South Florida showing a slight surplus of trucks. New York is showing a slight surplus of trucks. Lower Rio Grande Valley, uh, Texas crossing is showing a slight surplus of trucks. And Mexico crossing through Texas is showing a slight surplus of trucks. The other areas that are showing surpluses of trucks is Florida and also central Wisconsin. So those are some areas that you might want to uh, avoid or make sure that you already have solid contacts and to go ahead and be looking to get some freight back out of those areas if those are places that you may find yourself. And with no further ado, we're going to jump right over into this week's DAT trend lines report really quickly. Uh, for February 7th through the 13th, van rates fell another $0.04 cents last week to so a national average of $1.58 per mile. Flatbed rates edged downward $0.02. Cents. The reefer rate held steady. Despite a $0.01 cents decline in the fuel surcharge, diesel prices have dropped below $2 per gallon for the first time since 2005. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, probably more people would rather see the fuel prices a little bit higher to try to push that rate up a little bit further. But it is what it is right now. We're going to jump over and look at the National Van uh, national van Demand and Capacity Report for February the 7th through the 13th. Van load postings declined 6% last week, while truck postings increased 1%. So the load-to-truck ratio fell 6% from 1.4 down to 1.3 loads per truck nationally. The national average van rate dropped $0.04 cents last week, down to $1.58 per mile. Taking a look back at this time of last month, van load postings were down 14% in January. When compared to the previous month, truck postings fell 4%, which dropped the load to truck ratio from 2.1 to 1.9 loads per truck compared to January of 2015. The ratio has declined 32% over that time frame. Notice that there's a downward trend going on here, ladies and gentlemen. Moving on over and looking at the U.S. van rates for the week of the 13th, I mean 7th through the 13th, van rates fell $0.04 cents to $1.58 uh, per mile last week. The decline included a $0.01 cents drop in the fuel surcharge. Rates were down on most high-volume lane, high volume lanes last week, and we're showing that the national diesel average was about a $0.98 cents per gallon. That's down $0.03. Cents. Rates fell. $0.05 cents in January, looking at a time frame of this time period of last month, rather, the national average van rate fell $0.05 cents in January down to one sixty six one $1.66 per mile. Due partially to a $0.03 cents decline in the fuel surcharge compared to January of 2015, last month's rates lost $0.27, cents, including a $0.15 cents drop in the fuel surcharge. Taking a quick look around the country, up in the northeastern corridor, we show an average rate for drive-ins moving at $1.68 per mile. That that rate is reported out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia is showing an average rate for drive-ins at $1.59 per mile. Moving over into the midwestern portion of the United States, Chicago, Illinois, checks in showing an average rate for drive-ins at $1.82 per mile. Down in the south-central portion of the United States, we have drive vans checking in showing $1.44 per mile. Moving out west, we have Los Angeles, California checking in showing an average rate at $1.78 per mile for a drive van. Jumping over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report for the previous week of February 7th through the 13th, Flatbed low volume was up 10%, while capacity increased less than 1%. That yielded a 10% increase in the national load-to-truck ratio, which bumped it from 8.7 loads per truck up to 9.6 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate fell 2 cents last week, down to $1.83 per mile. Taking a look back, flatbed load postings rose 10% in January when compared to December, and truck postings declined 4%. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio for for the month rose 14% from 7.5 up to 8.6 loads per truck compared to January of 2015. The ratio was down 31%. So looking over at the U.S. flatbed rates for the week of February 7th through the 13th, flatbed spot market rates fell 2 cents last week to a national average of eighty three per mile, Despite an increase in demand, the load-to-truck ratio rose 10% to 9.6 loads per truck. Looking in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have an average rate showing of $2.83 for flatbeds coming out of Harrisburg. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, a flat $2 per mile coming out of Atlanta, Georgia. Moving into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Rock Island checks in, showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.52 per mile. South Central region of the United States, we have an average rate coming out of Houston, Texas at $1.77. And moving out west, uh, Phoenix, Arizona Arizona checks in, showing an average rate for flatbeds at $1.48 per mile. Moving on over into the U.S. reefer demand and capacity segment for the previous week, reefer loads lost load postings lost seven percent and truck posts added three percent last week. As a result, the load to truck ratio fell nine percent from three point four down to three point one loads per truck. The national average reefer rate held steady at a dollar eighty five cents per mile. Uh reefer spot market load volume declined in January from December, and capacity was down 6%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio fell 8% from 4.9 down to 4.5 loads per truck. Compared to the demand of January 2015, the ratio has fallen 50%. Looking at the U.S. reefer rates for the previous week, reefer spot market rates, For February 7th through the 13th, held steady at $1.85 compared to the previous week. The load-to-truck ratio has declined 9%. Once again, up in the northeastern portion of the United States, average reefer rate showing $1.57 per mile coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey, moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States. And this kind of reflects a little bit back on the fruit and vegetable report. Lakeland, Florida, is showing an average rate for reefers at a dollar thirty-six per mile. Florida's not the greatest territory, anyway. For no matter what type of uh, of, of transportation that you're moving, however, uh, potatoes and some and some melons are starting to come in the season down in Florida. So uh, it's still a little paltry down that way. Going back into the midwestern portion of the United States, we have Green Bay, Wisconsin showing an average rate of $2.62 per mile coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Moving down into the south-central portion of the United States, we have McAllen, Texas, showing an average rate of $1.83 per mile. And out west, Fresno, California, checks in, showing an average rate of $1.78 per mile. And that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps us up really quickly on the uh, DAT trend lines report. So I'm gonna go ahead and bring on our special guests. First of all we wanna bring on let bring on our pinch hitter and our guest co host tonight, Mr. Kenny Long. Kenny, are you there?
2: Hey Rico, I'm here. Thanks for having me on.
1: Cool, cool. Thanks for joining us. Uh really looking forward to uh getting into this tonight and with no further ado, let's go ahead and get Mr. Seaton on board because uh we wanna make sure that we get Get deep into this topic, and if anyone else has any questions that they want to get in, we want to make sure that we get those people on board as well. So, uh, Hank, how are you doing tonight? Are you there?
3: Yes, I'm here.
1: Deal, good deal. How are you doing tonight?
3: Oh, everything's fine. It's a little cold in Nashville, but other than that, everything's fine.
1: Well, good deal. Well, before we jump into any of the other stuff that we were going to talk about tonight, um... Would you mind giving us a little bit of an update or heads-up on anything that we might need to be aware of that may be coming down? Uh, you keep your ear pretty close to the ground as far as the different regulations that are getting ready to come down and different things that we might need to be mindful of. Any of those things that you might need to make us aware of tonight? Yeah,
3: sure. Uh, it looks like it's in the rundown to the Obama administration, they're trying to pretty much clear their decks. I don't think there's a whole lot of, of controversy and things like the ELD, there's a rumor now that they're gonna to try to get that negotiated reg on the uh driver training thing out of uh, you can figure that they're gonna to try to dump out their their sandbox with most of the things they've been talking about for a while. I think the biggest issue that we're going to face is going to be the safety fitness determination. Uh, As I think I mentioned last month, Congress told them to take down the scores and not to publish a rulemaking having anything to do with SMS methodology until they underwent a study and a corrective action plan. But uh, And what we can only say is a thumb to the nose of uh, Congress, they came out with a new uh, safety fitness determination with the uh studies most of which are really irrelevant it's 1500 pages long and industry's got two months to analyze it and make comments and uh, uh, a lot of us who have been critics of sms methodology are trying to gear up to uh, uh really look at this and take a hard look at it because uh Down in the weeds, they say that if a carrier is examined 11 times in two years, they can be put out of business based upon uh, roadside inspections alone, although they've set the barrier fairly high uh, currently and say it will affect 320 carriers directly. uh, Somehow, they say that the result of what they're Cooking up will be an additional 1,850 carriers or so that will be found to be unfit under the new system, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, it can't be like the uh, Obamacare, and we can't let them pass it and then read it to figure out what it's all about. If we're going to uh, uh, criticize it, we've got to do it very quickly, so... Uh, on behalf of ASEC and uh, uh, seven or eight trade associations, we're uh, including NASTIC and Western States, we're taking a very close look at that. Uh, it's interesting that uh, there hadn't been a whole lot of press on it here this past month. Uh, I guess that uh, the other major trade associations are trying to figure out what's on, who's on first uh, uh, as well. But that's, that's something that your listeners need to need to really be concerned about.
1: Kenny, you want to get in on some of that? Uh Uh-oh, you want to hit the mute button on us. Okay. Um, Well, Hank, we was going to talk about tonight, just for all the listeners that are out there listening, you can go to the Facebook page. There is a, I put a link up on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page for the uh, service agreement. So it's a simple two-page service agreement or a rule circular, whichever one you want to call it, um, that we put up. that, that uh, Hank and his uh, firm offer for free. There's a free link on their website where you can get a copy of this, and I uh, think it's very important. I've been seeing a lot of discussions and a lot of stuff going on on different groups and stuff talking about different things that people are experiencing and I think that this is a, a simple a two-page, simple enough to make that you maybe have some success with getting this in on some of your uh, broker contracts or whatever. And, and it's it's not a it's not a big manifesto. Like I say, it's a simple two-page agreement that you might be able to incorporate. And we will want to try to go over that really briefly tonight, and also take any questions that you may have tonight. Um, and I do see we do have a couple of people with some questions. So uh maybe we're gonna take some questions before we actually jump into the, the crux of that of that uh Are we um,
3: talking about service agreement? Fee, the the broker carrier agreement?
1: Uh actually we were talking about the uh service agreement, the um the statement of service provided, the operation circular that you guys have on your okay, website. Okay,
3: great. Yeah, let me get let me get up to that. Go ahead.
1: Okay, okay, and we're gonna go ahead and jump back over Let's see. Um, Ken has a question here for us. Hmm, let's get Ken on board with us real quickly. Hey, Ken. Good you're online, with Rico, Hank, and Kenny. How can we help? What's your question tonight?
2: Hey, Rico. Hey, Kenny. Hey, Hank. Uh, my question is more for uh, Rico and Kenny in regards as a lease operator lease to a carrier where the carrier
3: uh,
2: books the loads and agrees
3: to the rates as long as I agree, uh,
2: do you think it would be advantageous to subscribe to a uh, load board with a higher-end level of
3: service to to determine
2: truck-to-load ratios and, and rates and, and information like that? Um, I'll step in on this one. I'm... My, I'm Go ahead, Rico. Go ahead, you got
1: go it. Okay. Sorry, um, you're you guessing tonight, I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. Well, my opinion on that is if you are not in any type of position to negotiate, then I don't see a lot of uh, value in having all of that back office information. Now, being able to pick your own loads, if you're able to, you know, say yes and no uh, and turn down loads, then having some information as to what areas might be better would be helpful. But there's a lot of information out there that's free. In fact, even DAT has trend lines and some free information that you may be able to access, which could help you with that. But if you have no contact with the brokers and you have no negotiation power, then in some ways I feel that it would be a bit of a waste to spend money on uh, any load boards or especially higher levels. What you might do is get any of the, the bigger load boards get loaded, uh, truckstop.com, or any of the DAT load boards at the lower level, and you can access most of their back office information, at least the basics, which is really all that you'll need anyhow. And you can do some basic load searches, and you can do inbound and outbound searches, which could be helpful. If you're not in a position to negotiate, a lot of that higher level information could be accessed for what you what you'll actually be able to utilize. Okay.
3: Okay, I, I think, think I'd, agree have with to, I, I'd have let, to I i have to me, uh, let me lobby in here. If the if uh if the caller is paid on a percentage of the revenue and then he can apply his percentage to uh what he's seeing on the call boards and get a pretty good idea of uh of what he should be offered the load by the by the carrier he's contracted to. And uh, you know, I you've always got the right under the truth in leasing to turn down a load, but, uh, you know, it's a question of keeping the wheels moving. Okay. John, but thank you for your response.
1: Appreciate the call, Ken. And that wraps up the first question of the night. Uh, if anyone else has any questions, like I said, go ahead and press number one. We got a call screener, uh, Elizabeth, lovely Elizabeth will be uh, screening our calls for us tonight. And, um, Kenny, did you have any questions before we actually jumped into this uh, service in terms of an agreement contract?
2: Well, let me introduce myself quick, because I know you have a lot of listeners that uh, may not follow my show. I host the Trucking with Authority show on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. I help coach people to taking that next step and getting their own authority. And all the way, you know, anything really trucking business related, I try to help you take that next step. Now, Mr. Seaton and I were talking uh, before the show started and he has some new resources that I think are extremely valuable, and I, I give him a lot of props. I'm always plugging his uh, his services and his website, transportationlaw.net, and he was telling me about some new uh, upcoming services that he's going to offer called the TransCompliant, and I thought I'd give him a chance to plug that a little bit.
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh, the product it's called TransCompliant and uh, the website is transcomply.com. But uh, what what we're running into is uh, uh, in the old days when we had uh, deregulation, uh, it was pretty easy to get into business by filing an OP-1 and uh, uh, putting your insurance on file. And then the agency came around with the uh, new carrier audit and, Uh, Over time, uh, the regulations have gotten more and more complex. And what we were finding is that uh, new applicants were uh, uh, missing the opportunity to request a new carrier audit, were waking up and finding out that their authority had been canceled and uh, that uh, their first uh, uh, experiences with the agency were not very helpful. So the whole purpose of TransComply is to uh, uh, work with people who are just getting their authority, give them a thorough checklist uh, of uh, the kinds of uh, of issues they're going to be faced on the new carrier audit, and they're going to be faced at scales. Uh, <clears throat> it's really just uh, uh, an in-depth primer in uh, in compliance and regulation, uh, so that uh, You'll get past the new carrier audit, you'll uh learn a little bit about uh uh the per diem and and, and taxes and those kinds of information and basically a sounding board uh for uh, uh people who are getting in the business to know they're not there alone. So it's called Transcompli uh, uh dot com and we'll help people uh get through the application process We'll help them with agents for service of process. We have attorney agents in each state, which uh, a lot of people find is helpful. You don't have to pay anything additional if you if you get caught with a, uh, a, a an issue involving uh, either taxation or a uh, um, or in need of a lawyer in a in a strange state. You've got somebody who's a transportation lawyer that'll take your phone call and point you in the right direction we think it's going to be a, a worthwhile uh, issue because we uh we see enough uh, uh small carriers that uh, uh are actually blindsided by regulation. So uh that's that's basically an introduction to it. It's uh transcomply.com. Uh I've got a a good friend that's helping me with this who was uh uh my editor at CCJ for years and uh uh, he's, uh, he's very up on regulations, so uh, we can and will be uh, uh, posting for members uh, a, a monthly guide to tell you what's coming down the pike. Uh, uh, for example, if this uh, new driver training thing comes down, uh, we'll be putting out a notice on that and archiving it so that uh, people will uh, uh, be able to go to one one spot to
2: uh trying to figure out how the government's trying to get into
3: their
1: pockets. I think that's great. We just put up a link. Okay. Was, well so, uh, we yeah, just put up a I, link I on say, the uh, race and lane's Facebook page.
3: And for I for anyone think that's, that's interested we, be- just put, <laughs> we just
1: put that link up on the uh, race and lane's Facebook page uh for that Transcomplier website. Uh go ahead Kitty
2: we keep stepping on one of the. Go ahead. You, you, you ain't that's getting it. That's okay I think that's great because, you know, I help people, coach them through the process, filling out the application with FMCSA. The new URS system is in place. That was, uh, you know, there was a lot of question marks about bringing that system online. It looks like so far it's running fairly smoothly. As long as you don't mess it up the first time around, if you have any issues, getting it straightened out can be really complicated. But once you get past that and get your DOT number, your MC number, and you have your authority, everything's up and running, I get so many questions. People are scared to death of their initial safety audit, and with everything changing all the time, I think that's a great resource. So when uh, when I, he told me about that, I I just think that's probably one of the most valuable things we have right now. Transportationlaw.net and transcomply.com.
3: Thank you for saying that, Kenny. Uh, it, it really is a, a an issue on this new carrier audit. I have... Uh, I have folks that call me up and say, I didn't know it, but they canceled my authority, and I found out about it at the scale. And uh, when you start digging down into it, the agency may have uh, uh, sent a letter to your agent and gotten no response, and since you uh, weren't affirmatively uh, uh, active, they canceled your authority. And then they tell you, well, you can apply again in six months, you know what does that do for a guy who has paid his insurance premium, got his truck, and on the road for the, the agency to tell him he's got to wait six months to reapply? It's just something that you that 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 you need to be forewarned with, and uh, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a worthwhile service.
2: No, going on from there yeah, we
3: look like we. Well, well wait, okay.
2: just okay. move us into uh, discussing some contracts. You know, I talk about contracts and all the, you know, the reading the contracts is probably the biggest thing that I advise everyone to do, uh, whether they try to edit anything or discuss it, negotiate the contracts. I think any of that starts with carriers just need to read them and understand what they're signing. And I've had people tell me, you know, I've done, I've done hours and hours and hours of shows just about, in fact, just this past week, I started, I I had, I wanted to blow through uh, an overview of everything from the bill of lading to broker care agreements and, you know, leasing agreement, all of this stuff. And I spent the entire hour just talking about the basics of a bill of lading. I never even got into the meat and potatoes of it. I, an entire hour just on the bill of lading and you know, there's so much out there and I've had people come on after doing an hour long show about the ins and outs of contracts and say, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never read a contract. I don't care. I just sign them, and I've never had a problem. And I think that's just horrible information because it it only takes one time. You could do this for 30 years and get, get raked over the coals just one time, and that's it. And all you have to do, whether you agree with the contract or not, the first thing is to read it and understand what it is you're actually signing. Most people don't. In fact, most of the bigger brokers now are going to these online systems I actually filled one out today, and there was a line in there that said something to the effect of this contract is uh, time is of the essence. And, you know, because of that, it's all online. You can't make any changes. You It basically kicks you right through the signature line, and you have to click special links to go through and actually read it. And most people probably never even consider reading it. So, you know, before we even talk about contracts, I just want to say read everything that you sign.
3: Well, all I can say to that is uh, is a big amen. If you uh, if you have looked at the at the book uh, Protecting Motor Carrier Interest in Contracts, you'll know that there is a big section in there on how to look at contracts and what needs to be changed. It was originally called the Dirty Dozen. It may be up to fourteen or fifteen issues now, but I can virtually promise you that each of those issues will be written into the shipper and broker contract and each of those issues needs to be closely examined. Uh, uh, Some are more important than others. Uh, Some of them are non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned. Uh, One thing that's non-negotiable is be sure you limit your cargo liability to the amount of your insurance. All too frequently, carriers will sign contracts that says, we've got $100,000 worth of cargo insurance, but it doesn't limit the liability to that amount, and you once stole a load and you can be out of business. Uh, other provisions that are key are indemnity provisions. Most lawyers don't know what indemnity is, but the easy answer for that is the broker says, excuse my French, if shit happens, you're going to pay for it. And you've got to look very carefully at the indemnity provision and be sure that you'll make him harmless if you're at fault. If you're the cause of the uh, of the damage, then the indemnity is okay. But broadly worded, indemnity needs to be changed. Uh you know, let me, uh, let me let
1: me jump in real quick on that point on that indemnity thing cuz um I remember maybe a year or two back there was a big push going throughout the country uh making those indemnity clauses illegal. Uh what where do we stand on those things as far as the different states are con- were concerned cuz I know that a, a few states were we, Yeah, were, we now uh,
3: I think it's well over 35 states have anti-indemnity clauses. So uh, we, as carriers, we have been pretty successful in in getting uh, state legislatures to to adopt provisions that say you can't indemnify a man uh, from his own negligence. But there's another aspect of that that slips through. Sometimes they'll say that you'll indemnify them for the acts of another. So, for example... You don't want to indemnify uh, a, a, a receiver uh, if, while loading your truck, his lumper stumps his toe. And, uh, you know, that's not a violation of the anti-indemnity statute. So uh, and that's the reason that you still need to look at them and tie the indemnity statute down to your negligent act or omission.
1: Okay. Okay. Um,
3: the other point
1: that well, we was kind of getting into uh, a little bit of in the uh, from the service terms and conditions um, that you guys have on your website. Uh, if you're looking at that, and if everybody, and everybody that's on board has a copy of it up in front of them. Like I said, there's a link to it on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. Um, Hank, you want to? If you have that in front of you, maybe you want to start taking us through. Uh, uh, you know, no, I really on that don't. Contract. Why
3: don't you? I, I, I've got the, the broker carrier agreement up. Uh, uh, Rico just uh, told me about it before we got started, so I haven't gotten on the Rapes and lanes page. But Rico, why don't you uh, uh, take them in 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 number and ask me to comment on them, and I will.
2: Well, before you we even start well, that, number one is my, about my big question, my question is, how important is it that carriers have a statement of services provided?
3: I think uh, I think every, every client that I have got that's got more than 15 or 20 pages probably has a statement of service provided. If you look at the uh, – if you look at the uh, – Uh, the way the book is structured, I talk about there being three elements in a contract. The bill of lading that you mentioned, Kenny, uh, is uh, the old school. The bill of lading is the contract of carriage. It was pretty uniform. It established general rules of commerce, and it incorporated either the carrier's service conditions or this written bilateral contract. With the written bilateral contract being able to trump the service terms and agreements. The service terms and agreements, uh, the service terms that you would call, used to call a tariff, was the opportunity for the shipper to say, uh, This is my menu of services. This is the way I am going to sell hamburgers. Uh, because of the uh, undercharge issue, now, 35 years ago or more, shippers begun dictating their own terms and conditions in their contracts. So in the absence of signing away your rights, you get to dictate uh, what your limits of liability are, what your uh, 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 what your payment terms are, uh, whether or not you get interest in attorney's fees, those kinds of things. Uh, it's just unfortunate that... The bigger you are, the more you're able to dictate your terms and conditions. And that traditionally, uh, small carriers have not had a whole lot of negotiating uh, uh, space. Uh, You know, I tell people, you put your service terms and conditions out there, and you can either incorporate them by reference into contracts, or every once in a while, you'll get uh, a load that's tendered in which there is no a uh, written contract other than a rate confirmation. And in those cases, your service terms and conditions uh, are, are worth their weight in gold. I don't know whether we have anyone on the on the line that's an intermodal drayman. Uh, you know, Draymond's are the, are the guys that uh, uh, transport containers to and from the ports or to or from the rails. Uh, oftentimes, those loads are just tendered to people with uh, a note that says, I'll pay you $1,340 to take this container. In those cases, the carriers that have service terms and conditions have these great collection tools. If they don't get paid in 30 days, then I can send them a note that says, you need to pay up, Charlie, or you're going to have to pay attorney's fees. Great collection tool. If you don't have that in a service term and condition, or you don't negotiate in the contract, you're giving the broker an interest-free loan. Uh, uh, you know, as we go through the analysis in the book, you will see that uh, uh, the building block of your service terms is the is this rules tariff. Uh, I liken it to this situation. If any of you guys ever uh, send a Federal Express envelope somewhere you got to sign the Federal Express uh, uh, Bill of lading, and it incorporates their terms and conditions, and that's what tells you that if it doesn't get there by 10 o'clock and you've paid an excess uh, uh, fee for it, the most you're going to get is a portion of your fee back. You're not going to be able to go to FedEx and say, oh, by the way, uh, you shut down a plant. Uh, you're not going to be able to go to FedEx and say, Oh, by the way, you didn't know that was uh, uh, grandma's uh, uh, a diamond ring. It was worth $3 bucks. That's because the FedEx, the uh, the Yellow Freightway, the established carriers uh, all have their own service terms and conditions. And uh, negotiate with shippers for shipper terms and conditions based upon one-offs, based upon the shippers' particular needs, and uh, accordingly get a higher rate if they assume greater liability. So it's just really a question of uh, you need, uh, even if you never enforce it, you need to sit down and figure out, now, what kind of services can I offer? Uh, I think it's important for everybody on the phone to, if you haven't read your insurance policy, Go get your cargo policy and figure out what kind of coverage you've really got. You know, it may very well be that if you have bought, I could I could name names, but if you've bought any one of four or five policies, you don't really have coverage for theft. Uh, there's probably a pretty good chance that a lot of you don't have coverage for wetness, dampness, and moisture. And some of you may even be hauling flatbed loans. Uh, Some of you who uh, have reefer uh, freight may at best have reefer breakdown. Uh, And, uh, you know, you have all kinds of temperature claims uh, that don't result from reefer breakdown. So when you decide what kind of freight you're going to take, you need to have the assurance that that kind of freight is not going to fall into one of the exclusions in in your cargo claim. Because the shipper will bankrupt you, and you'll have no coverage. So it, it's for those reasons that you know uh, it's kind of like McDonald's. They may make a special order, but they know what their hamburger is and they know what its price. And then you're then you're going to pay extra for the uh, you know for the double burger or the cheese or the or the whatever else. And I think it's I think it's a good a good starting point to figure out. You know what? What is uh, what is my specialty? Am I just going to uh, take brokered loads and and not really pay a whole lot of attention to what it is, or am I going to uh, uh, limit my risks in accordance with my with my insurance? I had a client one time that didn't know what he was hauling until uh, he wrecked it in Colorado, and then found out it was a missile launcher and he had $100,000 worth of insurance. So, I mean, it, a lot of this is just playing smarter and knowing what, your, uh, uh, what services you're, you're uh, insured to offer and to understand that uh, you can't sign an agreement that says that you'll make a delivery quicker than the hours of service permit. This is one thing that I had been making. I uh, made three speeches in the past two months uh emphasizing and that's the new coercion rules. Uh, uh they're getting serious as a heart attack with uh, the uh uh the new uh ELDs and uh, enforcing the hours of service and they've now said that it is uh illegal for shippers and brokers to uh require a motor carrier to uh uh breach the federal rules. And all too frequently, you will see a uh, broker put in a contract. Uh, I think Kenny said it best. Time is of the essence. You must deliver this by 6 a.m. sharp, or you're going to pay a penalty or come back in, in two months or whatever. And we have got to start pushing back on that. And the, the bill of lading that Kenny was talking about has a provision in it that says that you will make it with reasonable dispatch, not in time to make any particular sailing or marketing. And I think it's important that uh, uh, we begin to hold uh, uh, shippers and brokers accountable for the fact that, yes, we will deliver it uh, expeditiously, but it's got to be in accordance with the hours of service, and you can't hold us up at the dock for five hours and then expect us to drive for eleven.
2: So all those terms can be put in your rules circular, and so if it's not in the broker-carrier agreement, and there's a lot of times there are issues that will come up, and those broker-carrier agreements can be, I've seen them 20 pages long. They cover just about everything, but there is always one of those issues that will slip through the cracks, and this rules circular, if you have one, that picks it up. That explains how you will handle it at that point. Or as you said, if there's no contract whatsoever, I've had handshake agreements to haul freight, And that rule circular picks it up. Now, my next question is, how do you go about publishing it? Is there a requirement for how
3: you would publish it? Well, the the statute actually says that uh, although a written bilateral contract can trump service terms, that otherwise the service terms that the carrier will make available upon request are binding. So it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell. But, uh, you know, I recommend to clients that if you're of any size, that you have a very simple website, that that website uh, to find, you know, we're AJ AJ Trucking out of Rancho Cucamonga. We specialize in transporting uh, flatbed equipment for service conditions. Click here. And then you have those service conditions on your website. And then when you uh, uh, issue a uh, load confirmation agreement, or you acknowledge a load that's tendered without a contract, you send back to them um, a uh, a load confirmation. And we've got one of those in our in our book too, uh, in Appendix B. It's, it says it's a broker carrier agreement. For the top, it says spot contract load confirmation. That's where you, you've got your origin, your destination, your pickup time, your total compensation, your special instructions, and then on the balance of the page, you've got set forth in 11 paragraphs what is basically all that you would need to uh, have a perfectly defensible service terms and conditions. Now, you could take that off of the bottom of this page and not put those service terms in and just have that load confirmation sheet say, uh, this shipment to be handled subject to AJ terms and conditions, dot www.AJ.com, and you would have the effect of this. Most of my larger clients will, as uh, you mentioned, uh, have the service terms and conditions that can be as long is 30 pages long but what you really need the guts of the issues are set forth in these 11 uh paragraphs in the book for the the broker carrier agreement and uh you know uh, we can quickly run through those uh if it would help and you can get the, uh, the the notion of of what really the contract of carriage is it's simply nothing more than for money to be paid to you, you agree to deliver a shipment intact and on time. That's the simple thing, intact and on time. And then the devil is in the detail. Uh, when we talk about intact, what is the cargo claim? What is your uh, your liability? What do you have to have to prove to escape a, a, a liability for a cargo claim? Uh, then you get into the questions of what are the governing publications? How are we going to resolve a cargo claim? Uh, those things are very simply set forth uh, in what I'm sure you all have as this one pager, and it's uh, replicated in the, the load confirmation sheet in the uh, eleven provisions there. But it's just basically a reliance on the, on federal law we talked talking about something called the Carmack Amendment, which is uh, the way that insurance is written. It's the way that the liability is established. It says that subject to an agreed release rate, you will pay for damage to goods uh, based upon the destination market value of the goods, but you're not going to be liable for what they call special or consequential damages. In other words, the broker can't come to you and say, you were late, you shut down the plant, and you've got to pay us $40,000 for being late. That's a special damage. That's not contemplated by the Carmack Amendment. That has to be written out. Uh, the uh, uh, the contract that we're talking about, the special terms and conditions, attempt to deal with the collection problem, uh, which is a, is a serious one. Uh, in most contracts you guys pick up, the broker will reserve the right to offset against your freight charges for a cargo claim, real or imagined. And I can tell you that the worst offenders are some of the biggest brokers who have never met a potential cargo claim. They wouldn't just unilaterally pay to their customer and take out of the house of the carrier. And so it's important that you require the carrier, that you be paid uh, without offset. If you take the position that you pay me for delivering the load, and if there's a cargo claim, we'll adjust it, uh, and I've got the insurance to prove it. So those are the kinds of issues that it's important we get into our service terms and conditions or onto our load confirmation sheet at the time of booking and he's uh, is absolutely right that uh I don't care how big or how small you are you need to look at the contract and uh prove to them you're nobody's dummy or nobody's fool cross out the provisions that are the most uh of the most damaging and uh you'll be surprised how much uh, uh how much negotiating you're you're usually able to do and of course a lot of times it's dependent upon marketplace factors. If you've got a truck there and what you're asking for is reasonable, they'll make the modifications. One of the things that uh, that really a lot of
1: people have been having problems with, uh, and I know that you know dealing with the, if you're dealing strictly with dealing with brokers, you have a, a harder time getting these contracts in place with when you're dealing with the broker, which is why tonight we wanted to kind of go over the service terms uh service uh, statement of services or the rule circular and give people a little bit of a primer of some of the documents that uh would be useful if they're going out trying to obtain direct shippers because a lot of uh, one of the questions that i've gotten as well is, well what do i need to take into a direct shipper what do i need to be looking out for uh uh where where do i start as far as protecting myself when dealing and negotiating with dealing with the direct shipper. And uh, going back to this um, service terms and agreement that we have up that you guys have available on your website, uh, point number one and point number two are pretty much self-explanatory, and point number three goes into exactly what you just talked about, which talks about your uh, insurance information and liability limits. Under uh, subsection 3A, it says PI and PD, uh, personal injury and physical damage, and um, the first subsection under that has a blank per occurrence limits BMC 91X on file. What should uh, carriers be putting in that in that uh, subsection right there?
3: Okay. What happens is depending upon uh, the commodities that you're transporting, uh, you either if you're running an 18 wheel vehicle. Uh, you're either going to have $750,000 required to get your authority or you're going to go ahead and have a million dollars in uh in property damage and, and bodily injury insurance. So when it says BMC 91X on file, that is the form that you file when you get your authority. That is what the FMCSA uh Uh, has to have on file in order to let you continue to operate so for most people on the on the call they'll either be putting 750 in there or a million dollars depending upon how much insurance they've actually procured and what their filing is with the FMCSA now obviously uh, uh, you know the larger the carrier some people will some shippers will require two million or three million, but as a practical purpose uh you know I would say if you've got a million dollars worth of insurance you're you're right there with uh, the vast majority of the of the existing carriers uh that million dollars is uh required if you haul what they call light hazardous and so uh, you're probably gonna to need to go ahead and get a million dollars if you're gonna haul uh grocery products or, or general stuff to uh, uh hardware stores. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to get over that seven fifty uh minimum requirement. You'll find seven fifty uh being for people who are uh, uh let's say uh transporting logs or transporting uh uh, some uh, some bulk commodities and are not really general commodity carriers. Is that uh, Kenny? Is that pretty much what uh, what you see in terms of the advice you give your new your new applicants for insurance?
2: Yes, I'm, I'm to the point now where I just tell everyone across the board if you're hauling. Uh, we had some insurance agents on a few weeks ago, and they were showing a case where. Uh, they had a claim against it was bottled water, drinking water, and DOT classified that as hazardous materials because it was chlorinated. So some things that you would never expect to be hazmat, DOT claims they're hazmat just because of the quantity, the volume of it that we carry. So a million dollars is almost necessary for every carrier if you're working spot market freight. Yeah,
3: and it's really... Uh from the underwriter's point of view, you're really not to a whole bunch of additional bucks on the difference between 750 and a million. I, I would agree that, particularly if you're a van carrier, you need a you need a million. Okay. Um, okay. We we're probably going to yes, run sir. out of time. Here, what, what else do we have you want to cover off that list? Yeah, we are running a little tight, and I think
1: we have someone who has some questions. So I'm, I'm going to get mix in a question before we go to the next one real quick, because I, I definitely want to allow the callers an opportunity to get in and participate with us here tonight. we got Mark in Illinois that has a question. Let's bring Mark up and on board with us. Mark, yeah, hey, how you doing, Rico? You doing? Good.
0: Yeah, yeah um, good. quick question for you. Currently uh, I have my Illinois authority. And I'm power only right now, but what i like to do is get my own flatbed uh, trailer. Now, how high of a demand and what type of rates are currently in the Illinois area if you have your own authority?
1: Ooh, that's a little bit of a, what you need to start doing is looking at the, um, looking Mm -hmm. at your customer base in the service area that you're looking, uh, that you're intending on servicing. Uh, you, you plan on getting your own authority with your own flatbed? Well, no, I have my own authority currently. Right now I run power only.
0: I run my okay. own, I have my own tractor with my own insurance, and I run other trailers for other for another company. i do flatbed gotcha. and drive-in right now. But what I'm looking to do is get my own trailer. Now, would it be more feasible for me to get me my own trailer or do the power only, I mean, is there much of an increase in pay on that? Or, I mean, what, what what's your perspective on it?
1: I think you'll do better with your own equipment. Uh, you know, it just depends on what you're, you know, if you have a customer. George Hick that joins us a lot of times, uh, he has a really sweet deal going on where he's doing power only, and he's getting some really, really great rates. Everyone's not able to, to do what George Hick is able to do, uh, but, you know, Power only is definitely a nice little niche to get into. Uh, I'm not really up to par as far as the the difference in the in the rates. I think that you probably could command about mm, ten to maybe ten to twenty cents more on a per mile basis if you had your own trailer. Um, that's that's what that's been my experience in the past when dealing with some power only. Uh, somebody else uh, may be able to. I, I've talked to some people that's been able to negotiate. Uh, power only rates that are on par with having all of your own equipment, um, you know, right there neck and neck with with that uh, same that same rate for having all of your own equipment. So it's just one of those things is how good of your of a negotiation uh, can you can you get out of whoever it is that you're dealing with. Kenny, you got anything you want to add on that?
2: The only thing that I'd be careful of in your operation, as you said, you're intrastate, state only in the state of Illinois. That's and that that sounds like you could limit yourself quite a bit. So if right. you want to go off on your own, um, you should have a customer base in mind already. I wouldn't take that leap until you have a customer nailed down, uh, because in trust state, you you are extremely limited working spot market freight.
1: Right, right. That's
2: well, he's that's already funny. he's already got his own authority. Yeah I, yeah, I have my own authority right now. Yeah, but you're only yeah, running dude. within the state of Illinois.
0: Yeah, right? I have my uh, ICC number. I don't have a M C number
1: now.
3: You know, one thing uh, thing that you guys, uh, that I'm seeing is uh, this power only thing is is beginning to pick up. Uh, And part of the reason it is is because uh, uh, with the pay to wait and the problems that uh, people are having with the constriction, uh, there's more trailer spotting than there's ever been before. So um, even shippers and brokers are now maintaining trailer pools uh, and, and looking for small carriers to do power only, um, you know, there's talk about our friends at, at Amazon going out and buying. Yeah, yeah, they,
0: they actually opened up a facility. I was checking them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right by my house.
3: <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, you look at it this way, if you do do a power only, uh, and you can find that sweet spot where you can roll in and the trailer's already loaded and you can take it to the other spot and drop it and get under another one uh man that takes a whole lot of hassle out of uh, of waiting to get loaded and unloaded now to flood that of course is a, is a is a different issue but uh uh as uh, uh, as the independent contractor model becomes more difficult uh to uh, to uh to work uh there's going to be a lot i think of opportunity for small carriers to get in that uh uh power only niche okay, uh, okay. and it might be something i'm not sure how it works for, for flatbed caller but uh, uh i am seeing uh, i am seeing small carriers looking at that
0: okay yeah yeah i was just you know just curiosity you know just checking things out, different different aspects of the business, see what I could do to, to grow myself, you know, to get more trucks and
2: stuff like that, too. So. Well, one thing that I want to say that you should be careful of is there is a, a slight shift in the industry now, and they're going more toward the model of having independent, uh, you know, contractors with their own authority. But essentially, they do the same work as if you were just leased onto that carrier. So if you have your own authority, right. make sure that the pay is, you know, set accordingly. Because you'll have a a lot more expenses associated with that. Oh yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in some cases it may be better to actually just lease on your truck to that company so then they take the risk, they cover the insurance expense, and it's their name on the side and it, it takes a lot of uh paperwork off your shoulders and essentially you end up doing the same work anyway. So just
0: right, be careful right. of
2: that that little bit.
3: Okay. Well I
0: appreciate that. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I think your I think the point Thanks. there is Thanks really uh, you, You're going to have more you're going to have more hassle running your own your own operation. You need to be paid for it, right. particularly with some of the crazy insurance rates I'm seeing. Uh, good Lord, you're going to need another. Uh, you know, if an owner operator look at it this way, if an owner operator is going to work at 70% of revenue. It's going to run at your own. You need to be looking at least at 85. Just, just, just rough, good deal. Rough numbers. I'm just looking
1: at the, taking a look at the time, and man, it's just the hours flown by. Kenny, you got anything you want? Any more things you want to get in real quickly before we wrap up and get out of here tonight? We we did
2: we hardly even scratched the surface on that uh, service terms and agreement contract. Well, I tell you, every time I talk about contracts, I go for hours. I do overtime on my show every week because these contracts get so uh, so overwhelming. Um, but yeah. I I plug Mr. Seaton's website transportationlaw.net. I plug that on almost every episode of my show. I think the resources he has over there, he has a ton of free resources, PowerPoint presentations, examples, the, all these forms we were talking about today. He has samples available there, so I, everybody needs to go check that out. Um, and again, I host uh, the Trucking with Authority show on Tuesday night. That you know anybody can come. Check out my show as well, and you can find us uh, at let Truck dot com and click the link to the audio road.
1: Absolutely, and I appreciate Kenny for coming on and joining with us. Uh, Hank, I know that we talked about uh, protecting motor carriers' interests in contracts. That's your first book, or well, I don't know if that's your first one, but I know that's the one that really got me familiarized and put put you on my radar. Um, and, and that's available, of course, on the website, net as well Everyone can go click on that And I know that you were working, we've been talking about this other book That yeah, you've uh, been working uh, on for I, a little I, while
3: In preparation for the meeting tonight, uh, I asked my editor What can I tell uh, Rico and the people on the uh, on the conference will be the uh, the drop dead date So he has said that by the end of March we'll have the new book out and uh, it should be uh, it should be a helpful addition to what we have. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be about twice the twice the size, and hopefully a be a, a useful reference book. In addition to uh, having the kind of content that people have come to expect out of protecting motor carrier interests. So hopefully well, by this there time way- month we'll be there.
1: Is there a way for maybe uh, uh, to maybe do some pre-orders or something like that? Can we maybe get the, get the buzz going to try to get you a little bit of pre-order going in?
3: Well, I appreciate that. I, I tell you what, uh, Rico, i'll I'll talk to I'll talk to my editor tonight, and i I'll, I'll have him uh, send both you and Kenny uh, uh, an update on it.
1: Cool, cool. I'll be looking for it and I'll definitely share that link. I, don't, I know I definitely uh, need a copy. As a matter of fact, I've been wearing out that uh, protecting motor carriers and interests. Uh, I've been wearing out my little book so bad. I probably need to get an updated copy of that one because it, it's it's tattered right now. <laughs> so um, <laughs> well, with, I'll,
3: I'll send you an autographed copy, my friend. Well, I, I definitely
1: appreciate it. I definitely appreciate it. Okay. And um, with that being with that being said, Mister Seaton. Um, we put a link up of the uh, of the um, service agreement and everything up on the uh, website tonight, as far as the, on the rates and lanes. So if anybody doesn't have a copy of that, you can go uh, either to rates and lanes, or you can go to transportationlaw.net, and it's under if you go to transportationlaw.net, click under the link transportation agreements, and there's a hyperlink about three-quarters of the way page down that says Statement of Service. If you click on that Statement of Service, that will take you directly to that link for the uh, uh, Statement of Service or the, or the Rules Circular that we talked about. But also on that very same page, uh, Mr. Seaton has a copy of the uh, ATA agreement and the, uh, as well as sample copies of Shipper Carrier Agreements and Broker Carrier Agreements. So we definitely want to try to uh, avail you to many more resources here tonight, and that's why one of the reasons why we're so appreciative of bringing uh, Kenny jumping on board with us is to help, uh, help us co-host this one, and also very appreciative of Mr. Seaton taking time out of his busy schedule to come on and explain some of the different nuances that we definitely, as motor carriers, need to be aware of. So, once again, uh, Hank, before we close out, is there anything that you want to leave us with as far as uh, how people can get in contact with you or um, for any different services, anything like that?
3: Yeah, sure. I can be reached through transportationlaw.net. If you've got any questions, uh, please feel free to email me through that address. Uh, If you have just gotten your authority and you're facing the new carrier audit and you feel like the, the dog that chased the car has now caught it and you don't know what to do with it, uh look at uh at TransComply. Uh we'll be happy to uh we've got a passion to help small carriers, we'll be happy to help you and maybe put some structure in your compliance program. And uh, uh Rico, I appreciate you buddy. Uh thanks for the opportunity and uh Kenny, I'll be talking to you uh about what we can do to uh, uh, preserve the ability of uh, of, uh, of uh, entrepreneurs to get into trucking business and make money and take care of their families.
2: I look forward to it. Thank you.
3: Okay, guys. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Good night. Thank
1: you, Mr. Seaton. Once again, this has been the Race and Lanes podcast coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia. We want to thank everyone that helped make this show possible. Kevin Rutherford, Lisa Rutherford, and the entire Less Truck team. Kenny and Elizabeth Long, we appreciate you guys tonight for coming in and pinch hitting and helping us out. Uh, Elizabeth, for a call screening. This has been the Race and Lanes, once again, Race and Lanes podcast with Rico Muhammad, Kenny uh, Kenny Long, special co-host, and also Hank Seaton. We want to thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule for listening. God bless you. Good night, and we'll talk to you same time next week. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes.